On the first episode of the Crimson Podcast, Matt Lesnick and I welcome on Dr. Nigel, our principal, to talk about his love for Virginia basketball, fantasy football, and our school district's decision to shut down before December break. Stay tuned. Okay, we'd now like to welcome on our principal, Dr. Nigel. Dr. Nigel, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Shane. Thanks for having me on. Hello, Matt. Hi, Dr. Nagel. How are you doing? Doing well. So we want to start off with your love for sports. You're a big sports fan, as you've told us in the past. You brought up your love for Virginia basketball. Where does that all come from? Yeah, so uh, I grew up around here, but ended up going to school in the ACC. I actually grew up a Duke fan in the early 90s with Bobby Hurley, Christian Leitner. Loved Duke. Uh, but then fell in love with University of Virginia and was fortunate enough to get in there. Um, and, and that's where I went for undergrad. And when I was there, we were terrible. Um, just you know, Pete Gillen was our coach and, and we just did not have a very good team. But when I was there, we, had, we were always playing Duke twice a year. And so uh, when I was in college, I would go camp out and uh, sleep outside in a tent and try to get a spot for the Duke and the Carolina games. And they usually didn't go all that well. We got them toward the end of my four years there. Um, but uh, we weren't, weren't great. And then I've stayed, you know, in contact with the school and my friends from there and, and stayed a, a basketball fan. And then, you know, Tony Bennett came in uh, nine years ago or so and, and just really turned the program around. And so it's been uh, quite a ride. And most recently with the national championship in 2019, it's been awesome to be a Virginia fan. And so I, I love all Virginia sports, but with the certain, you know, resurgence of our basketball program and having, you know, what almost feels like a, you could debate about this, a blue blood program now that every year, you know, for a bunch of years, we were having one seed in the tournament. We're not going to talk about the year where the 16 seed got us the UMBC game. Uh, but uh, Virginia basketball has been something that I've really loved since I was there. And now it's been so much fun to follow. And I've kind of passed it along to my sons and they've become Virginia fans. And it's something that I really enjoy. And it keeps, you know, the thing I like about, you know, sports fans like yourself and I get you guys to talk about where you want to go to school is you go to a school, obviously for academics, but when you have, a, you know, a power five conference like the ACC, where you're going to a big 10 school, it adds so much more to your college experience that you become part of this kind of awesome sports environment. So that's something I always recommend to students like yourselves who love sports. Hey, to think about the sports program, the school you're going to, uh, because it's something that'll connect you there for, for years after when you graduate. Yeah, and going back to uh, Virginia, you as you mentioned, things have looked up since you were there. Um, so what do you see them doing this season? Do you see another national championship or another first-round upset? Or Well, hopefully not the latter. Um, you know, it's been a rough year so far. Uh, we had an early loss to San Francisco. We played in the Bubbleville up at Mohegan Sun. Um, there's a style of basketball that does pretty well against us. The teams are big, and they pick and pop, and – hit threes over the top. We, we struggled to shoot the ball in that game, lost 61-60. Um, and so we're 3-1 and one right now. We had to go on pause. We, we were supposed to be at Michigan State. That got canceled. We supposed to be Villanova tomorrow, and that got canceled at the Garden. I was all psyched to go to that when they announced it, but that got postponed because of COVID. Uh, but I don't know if you guys saw, they just actually put in a new game. We're playing Gonzaga on December 26th. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good, really a big good one. game. That is. Yeah, that's a big one. So we'll see what kind of team we actually are. So we'll see after that game on 26, what, what kind of team we are. I think we can play Gonzaga tight. Uh, the big thing this year is we've got a lot of new faces, a couple freshmen, Reese Beekman, 
Uh, and then we've got two transfers, one out of Rice, Trey Murphy, and one out of Marquette, uh, Sam Hauser. And they are excellent, but they're our main kind of playmakers on offense. So it's taking a little time for them to gel. And so, and then defensively, Tony Bennett obviously isn't going to play you if you're not going to play defense. And so I think we are going to come to form. Hopefully we have as normal a season as possible, get the full ACC run, and then come March is when they're starting to peak, as opposed to years where I feel like we weren't at our peak in March. That year we lost UMBC uh, is one of them where we lost DeAndre Hunter going into the tournament. So I really feel like Virginia could make a run at it this year. I think there's some really good teams. I like Iowa, I like Luca Garza. Um, they shoot the ball well. I think Gonzaga is one of the better teams. But I, I think if I'm looking at it right now, we're talking this is a Final Four team if they come together and play the way that they could. But I think Virginia basketball also opens itself up, op- opens itself up for upsets because of the style of play. Not a lot of possessions. If we don't shoot the ball well from three, you know, we're not the team. They're, they're people who are critical of the style of play come March. We've seen that be successful. But that was a year where we had Ty Jerome, NBA player, you know, DeAndre Hunter for the Hawks and Kyle Guy, who talked about, you know, hit a big, big shot the other day in preseason. So we had three legit NBA players that year who could generate on the offensive end. We have that type of firepower this year. It depends on whether or not that team gels, whether or not the defense is as good as it's been in years past. And so back to the point of the young core that Virginia has, and you discussed Sam Hauser, the transfer, Jay Huff, the transfer, and Trey Murphy. It seems to be that those three are their offensive core. And like you said, it's them having to gel together offensively. And we've seen with the Virginia teams in the past, Tony Bennett relies on his defense. That 2018-2019 team that won the national championship, that was a defensive team. DeAndre Hunter, as we saw, went to the Hawks in the lottery. Why did he get drafted? Because of his defense. Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, awesome defensive backcourt. And I think for Virginia, their biggest thing is their defense and how they mold together. And they can make that tournament run and that title run the same way they did a few years back if they keep that together. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Even if you look at last year, that team really started rough and we were, you know, kind of on the bubble for a little bit. But then the defense, you know, was always there. Yeah, Mamadi Diakite, who actually is on a two-way contract with the Bucks, So another NBA guy on that roster from 2018-19 hit the big shot against Purdue, yeah. if you remember, in the Elite Eight. Um, but, you know, Braxton Key – the offense came around. If the defense is there and you get enough offense, they're dangerous. But the defense, you're right. Tony Bennett is going to make sure. That, and But I, I trust Tony Bennett. You have to at this point to, make, to, to think he's going to have that defense playing the way he wants come March. Yeah, and as we mentioned, um, Virginia's had a plethora of guys go pro. Uh, you know, DeAndre Hunter, some of their stars recently, you know, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Kyle Guy, they, they've gone pro. Now, do you see anyone on this Virginia squad making a name for themselves and potentially making it? Matt, that's a good question. Um, I think Sam Hauser is a pro. I do. Um, I, I, you know, he's, he's a good enough shooter. I like to see him create for himself a little bit more with the ball in his hands. He's, he's pretty good off the ball. Trey Murphy's tough. I mean, he's, he's, he's so raw and he's a good talent at Rice. He really came in, had a big game um, early on in the year. Uh, I'm, trying to remember if it was Kent State or if it was Sam, I think it was St. Francis um, and right of the ship shoots the ball well, six, eight and Hauser's another big guy, six, eight. So those, those are NBA frames, you know, if you talk about uh, guys playing wing in the NBA, I think we have some really good underclassmen too. It's too early to say whether or not Reese Beekman, he was a Gatorade player of the year out of Louisiana. I think he's got a chance to play point guard in the NBA. 
Um, I don't think Kihei Clark is big enough. He's five foot seven. Uh, that's, he's no Muggsy Bogues or Spud Webb. Uh, but I think that, and I think Huff's got a future. I mean, Huff is seven one, shoots the ball well, uh, puts the ball on the floor pretty well too. So I, I think he will be an NBA player. So if I had to say right now, I would say Huff, the guys you mentioned, Shane earlier, you know, Jay Huff, uh, Trey Murphy, and Sam Hauser for sure will have a chance in the league. You know, it's hard to say whether or not guys like uh, you know Reese Beacon will develop. I think it's going to take a matter of time. You, you know, you, you give the guys who are six eight to seven one have that ability to say okay let's look at this guy's frame to play in the NBA whereas you know if you're smaller if you're six two guard I think that's what's holding Kyle Guy back I think everyone looks at him and go he doesn't look like an NBA player right but he plays like one and he shoots like one um, but I do think there's guys currently on the roster um, and that's I mean you need that in order to I think make that late run in March and to really have a successful tournament team you got to have guys on the roster who are going to play at the next level. And I think they have the guys that can take it to the next level. Sam Hauser, to me, and Jay Huff, from what we've seen in the four games Virginia's played, it's not a ton. And going forward, I think as conference schedule starts and they're playing the Louisvilles of the world, the Duke, North Carolina, that's going to show a lot about this team. And I just like – I've always liked championship contenders, as you could say, with the big forwards and with the two guys in your backcourt that are dominating – can shoot, create shots, inside and out game. Similar to like the Wisconsin Sam Decker, Frank Kaminsky team, if you will. Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter at Duke a few years back. Just teams like that, I feel like that always works in college basketball. You know, I like one of those guys to be good with the ball in his hands, though, right? Like who's going to – you need a shot, right? There's going to be a game in a tournament where you need somebody to make a play. And it's not going to be on a set play where the coach calls a screen and it's an off-ball screen. I mean, it could be, but you want somebody who's just going to be able to create, right? Create that game-winning shot. And that's where, you know, Ty Jerome, I think, was really underrated for that Virginia team back in 2019. You know, he was the one with the ball in his hands. You remember the Texas Tech game? You know, he, he makes a drive late, attracts the defense in. They're down three, kicks it to DeAndre Hunter on the wing, and Hunter hits an open shot. So you got to have guys who I think can create that space. And then, you know, so you named the Wisconsin team with Decker and Kaminsky. You've got to have a couple guys who are going to create their shot late in the game. Yeah. And obviously we know this season is very unpredictable. Um, you know, we saw Virginia already had a game canceled uh, against Michigan State. And so what, barring any other major postponements, what do you see coming out of this season for the entire NCAA? Who do you, who's your favorite? Who's that's a good question. Again, I think it's so hard because so many programs, there's been some programs who've already had their big marquee games. Um, I do, I, you know, have to go with like the players and then the supporting coaches. Right. So I really like Mark few. He's done a really nice job with Gonzaga. Um, you know, I think sometimes in the past we thought their program was inflated because they play in the WCC, but that, that conference has gotten a lot better, right. With St. Mary's and San Francisco, and some of those teams, um, you know, I, I like Gonzaga a lot. I really do like Iowa. If they shoot the ball that well, they're going to be tough to beat. You got a big man like Luca Garza. So and then, you know, yeah, they're just so good. So I, I haven't been able to see a lot of them yet. Uh, I usually get most of my viewing through the ACC play. I don't really love anyone in the ACC. I mean, I don't think Duke is, is – they're raw. There's just – you know, I think there are a lot of unproven players. Carolina, they play a style of ball that I don't think yields as well if you don't have those guys in March. They're up and down the court. 
Um, I like the Big Ten this year. I think they, they really did a nice job. They won most of the games in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And so, you know, that, that's a good Iowa team. It's a good Illinois team. You know, Tom Izzo is going to have his, his group ready to play. Um, I love Jay Wright, Villanova. I think that's a, another program that I think Virginia really emulated. And uh, he does a nice job. But I think right now, if I had to say, uh, I'll, pro- I'll go Iowa. I mean, again, I watched them play that game. And if, if they play that style of basketball, that discipline, Graham McCaffrey is another good coach. Um, and it'd be good. That's another new face in there, right? Another team that we haven't really seen be successful. You know, got to give a guy like Luca Garza coming back to be the national, you know, preseason player of the year uh, credit to come back to school. So we'll see. I just hope we have a tournament, guys. I really do. That was so difficult last year. Yeah, that was really heartbreaking. And to me, it, as ridiculous as it sounds with obviously the way everything shifted following the pandemic, but I just remember coming home from a track practice early March and getting that Twitter notification, there's no tournament. And to me, as, as an avid sports fan, just like the both of you, that's when the world shut down for me, is when everything just got canceled. Yeah, same. But I mean, I'm a North Carolina fan. We weren't making it last year anyway. So <laughs> it, uh, somewhat of a relief, but obviously. Shane, you make a good point, though. I mean, honestly, how nice has it been to have Saturday college football and Sunday NFL this year? I mean, it's just it's made everything just a little bit more tolerable. When there's no sports, I struggle. I mean, th- thank gosh we had that, uh, you know, the Bulls documentary, because I don't know what else I was watching in March. Uh, the Last Dance with Michael Jordan, that was good stuff. Uh, but I, you can only watch tape sports so much. I mean, there's it, it, it's just so nice. And I hope they do everything in their power to make sure that we do get a tournament because I got to give baseball and all the, all the sports that have finished, you know, NHL finished their season. Football has been a little wonky this year, but they're getting to the finish. I just hope that college basketball can do the same thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot different for each league you could say, whereas the NBA and the NHL along with the MLB did a phenomenal job of prioritizing the players health and their safety. Whereas the NBA bubble, you came in mid July Guys are getting tested. There's however many tests to start. And round one of the playoffs, you have zero positive tests because everyone's following protocols. And Adam Silver and league officials are doing all they can to prioritize the guys. Whereas with the NFL, it kind of seems like, as you saw with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens game, they don't care. They'll play, they'll play Wednesday morning at 4 a.m. It didn't really matter to them. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think – you know, I think each league presents its own challenges, but you have to admire guys. I think the NBA is a very well-run league. I think Adam Silver is an excellent commissioner. Um, I have less faith in the NCAA than I do in the NBA, so I'm just hopeful that I've heard a lot of talk about Indianapolis being the the city where they all get together and create a bubble. I mean, this season hasn't gone well yet. Um, you're different with obviously dealing with a different set, right? The college students as opposed to MBA where it's their profession and they can say, okay, I'm going to lock down uh, and do it that way. But again, I'm not professing to have the answers. I just hope that, like you said, they prioritize that. I see Duke and Mike Krzyzewski is saying we're going to play less league games, but that should have been a conversation prior to the season, not mid-season. They are, okay, we're not going to play Gardner-Webb or whoever it's going to be because we're not doing very well. Yeah. So yeah, and Matt, as a Carolina fan, you can, we can hate on Coach K together. We can share yep. that. Okay, I agree. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing, though. I, I, I really don't buy it with Duke. I think this is all fakes. I mean, I'm not going against the way Coach K feels about the pandemic. You can't because it's prioritizing your player safety, like we said. But I, 
I mean, limiting conference games and canceling against Gardner-Webb, you have to think that he's not feeling too confident going into those games. It certainly looks that way. I don't want to be someone who's saying that, you know, I respect Coach K and his basketball acumen, but uh, if, if he was fielding a team with, uh, you know, Zion and R.J. Barrett, I don't know that he'd be saying the same thing. Yep. And we've obviously seen Duke isn't getting the recruits because so many guys are just going straight to pro at this point. So they're not building the powerhouse that they once were. Um, so one thing you also mentioned to us was you love fantasy football. So how'd your team do this year? Who'd you draft? What trades did you make? So you know, when you guys asked me, you mentioned you were going to talk to me about that. I was like, oh, do I tell them that I'm, I'm in five leagues and I can't wow. speak to whether or not? Yeah, I know. So I, I do play. I like each of them. They're all a little bit different. I've got a home league of guys I used to, uh, you know, teach with at, at Ridge High School. And so that's kind of like my, you know, my home league where it's people we know each other. It's, you know, talking smack. And, you know, but it's, it's, it's not anything exciting. It's not a lot of guys who are really into fantasy. And then I've got a couple other leagues where I'm in a dynasty league where it's a year to year contract, a couple other leagues where I share one, I share a team with a guy I went to high school with. And there's some keepers where you can guys, keep guys late in the draft. So I've got a couple of different leagues. I did. Okay. I got two who are still alive. Um, you know, injuries, it's been a tough year with COVID and having guys on the IR and things like that. But the, the, my most fun league is one that I, I never thought I would enjoy. It's, it's actually a, you got if you guys play DFS like DraftKings and things like that. Um, but it's a league where there's 18 guys, and each week you have a contest to see who can score the highest with the DFS roster. And each week somebody gets knocked out, and so it's a survivor league. And oh wow, yes, yeah, so it's week 15, and I'm still left. There's four guys left, and so I've, I've made it this far. And that one is just is, is kind of intense, and and it it doesn't matter. You don't lose interest because if you have a terrible team, like I, Dak Prescott, I drafted this year and that was just, you know, as a Giants fan, it, heartbreaking to see him go down and he was having such good years on track to set a bunch of records. Uh, but, you know, obviously you guys, if you play fantasy football, you know that the season long leagues, you could, you could be out of it pretty quickly. Whereas, you know, the DFS, the, the great thing about it is every week's a, a new game. So that's been a fun one that I'm still alive and I've got, my dynasty league, I've got a pretty good roster. I've got Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, uh, Lamar Jackson's coming on a little bit. I was pretty high on him to start the year, and I was surprised uh, how much he struggled. Uh, I'm not sure what the, you know, what the reason was, if it was just the passing, but he, or if he was hurt. I think there was an injury earlier in the year that maybe wasn't you know, discussed as much, a, a lower body injury, and now he's running more. You saw him last week uh, with over 100 yards on the ground. And so I've, I feel like my teams who have him, and I've made it this far despite of him, are going to be okay in the playoffs. Um, and so, you know, I love, love fantasy football because, and I, I'm a red zone guy. I don't know if you guys subscribe to red zone and have that on the weekend, but I, it makes every game worth, you know, I can sit there like last night I was watching the chargers and the, and the Raiders and it was a great game and I love the NFL football, but it gives you just a little bit more of that rooting interest. So it's something that, you know, me, to me brings people together and gives each game a little bit more you know, excitement. And now my 10 year old is, is in uh, fourth grade is, is playing fantasy football. And so I can kind of like teach him and he's in the, the semifinals of both his leagues. And he wakes up this morning and he's like, Oh yeah, Darren Waller had 25 points last night. It's just, it's, it's fun to me. It, it adds another level. And I think, I think it's really helped the NFL. So when you see, I don't know if you guys read about Josh Jacobs last week, you put on Instagram, like I'm not playing. Yeah, and everyone, all the, yeah. Everyone's like, what is that? And then or yesterday when, the Chargers come out and say, well, Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams are active, but 
you know, they're on a, they're on a pitch count and everyone's like, Oh, what are you doing? You're messing with my fantasy. And, and so I think that bothers some players, but honestly, I don't think there'd be as much interest in the league. I mean, people, it's still football. People are still going to watch, but I don't know that you and I would be able to name every wide receiver on every team and every running back and tight end if we weren't playing fantasy football. Yeah. I, and fantasy adds just so much to it because I mean, even for people that, you know, gamble and bet on games on Sundays, it, fantasy just brings a whole different perspective to it where it's for you, maybe because you're a Giants fan, it's, I hate the Cowboys, but I need Dak Prescott to get me 25 because Dalvin Cook got hurt midway through the first quarter. There's just so much to it. And I know as a 49er fan, I drafted Tyler Lockett in a couple leagues. And just to watch him blow up, it, it, it's, it's, it's devastating at the – it's devastating at some points. And then at the same time, you're like, I'm happy I drafted you. And I don't know if I would appreciate, like, so you're a Niners fan. Like would I know or appreciate like Kyle Shanahan as much if I didn't play fantasy football, right? Like the, his systems and his schemes and like, you know, you've got what, four or five running backs who could be the feature back at any given time, which is yeah. maddening, but it also gives you a little bit of an eye into the brilliance of, you know, watching, you know, Kyle Shanahan coach against Sean McVay. Like, I don't know if I'm watching the Niners, Rams game so closely if I'm not invested in who's doing well and that's that's a big part of it it's just for some primetime games if you don't have I mean I know early on one of our Thursday night games was Jaguars Dolphins and it's like if I have no fantasy implications why am I watching this yeah yeah I agree I agree go ahead Matt yeah and it's just like it gets as you mentioned it gets more it brings in more fans. If you have, you know, a few friends who don't know much about football, but you bring them into the fantasy world, they're going to start to pay attention to it more and they're going to start to enjoy it more. That's what happened with me. Yeah. And I think honestly, the NFL should embrace it. And I think the better guys like Austin Eckler, who like, you know, look out and say, don't worry, managers, I'm going to, I'm going to go for you or apologizes to his managers. Like those are guys I think who get it. Uh, people who at this point think it's dorky or silly they're just not in tune because I think the vast majority of fans are playing it at this point. Yeah. I, and, and that's, it's funny you say that it's just cause it's so funny to see guys that either go along with it. And, you know, like you said, Austin Ackler is re- he feels for your fantasy team if he didn't light it up. And then there's the Chris Carson's of the world who sat out what four or five weeks because of a foot injury. And then, he's opening these direct messages from fans on different social media platforms. And he's like, come to my house, all this stuff we could. And, and it's guys that are like, hold on, wait, I was just playing around with you. You didn't have to take it that seriously. It's very funny to see. Yeah. I, although I will say that people are tweeting at players, like they're real people. You don't need to do that. Yeah. You can be frustrated, but like, come on, like don't, don't tweet at the players, you know, like so, but I think that, you know, the players, Again, I, I think there's less there's less appreciation than there should be for what it's done for the sport and the game and why the NFL kind of, to me, is the king. So moving on from your love for Virginia and fantasy football, we want to wrap this up with uh, Bernard's decision to go all virtual ahead of December break. What were the implications? What did you and the, the board, you know, go through and discuss deciding for us to go all virtual ahead of Christmas? 
Yeah, so it was hard. Thanksgiving, I obviously presented something to us, which we weren't necessarily sure how it was going to go. Um, and we opened, we didn't close preemptively, but then, uh, gosh, the time's blending together. But the week, I guess it was two weeks after Thanksgiving, not necessarily the week right after it. But after that, we started to see more cases. And really what we decided to do, our approach as a district, was to make sure that we were in tune with how many cases there were, uh, communicating with the Department of Health, the Board of Health, and seeing what the recommendation was. And, and on that, we were you know, set to be all virtual through as long as we could. And then we had, I think it was a matter of, I think, nine cases in two days. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's contact tracing both at the middle school and the high school as per you know, the communication that we sent out. And so we went, you know, we did what we said we were gonna do. You know, these, it's important in crises to have a plan and to go by that plan and not deviate from what you said you were going to do or said you were going to do. So into the Department of Health and they decided that it would be best to shut us down for 14 days and that got us closed through winter break. So that was how we made that first decision to say, okay, we're gonna you know, be closed up until and through the winter break. The harder decision is when do we open? When is it safe to open? Uh, is it safe to open on the 4th? Um, even though we know that there are you know, folks who are traveling and uh, folks who are planning on gathering with family over the break. And so that's a discussion that we're having right now uh, among, you know, superintendent, uh, the principals at the board level to see whether or not, you know, do we want to wait a little bit, give us a week, see if there's any additional cases, see how it goes in New Jersey, see what the risk level is in the regional risk matrix. Are we still in an orange? Have we gone back to a yellow? Or have we gotten worse and gone to a red? It's really hard. Uh, you know, we value getting students in school, but as you guys know, if you were in classes, you know, December 7th, December 8th, there was only two or three kids in every class. And so, you know, to what extent do you risk the uh, potential for exposure at school, you know, to have students in person? Obviously, in-person learning is really important, but, you know, our teachers are working really hard. They're concerned about their health and safety. We're concerned about all students' health and safety. So it's, it's a very difficult balance. There's a lot of things that go into it. Um, we wanna try to stay open as much as we can. And we've seen that the kids and the staff have been really responsible about masks and social distance and kind of making sure that we have a, a safe school environment, which I feel like we do. Um, but it's tough. I think everyone sees what's going on in society and uh, you know everyone's been at this point probably directly impacted whether they've had COVID or had a family member who's had it or, you know, and perhaps hopefully not, you know, any significant health, uh, you know, risks or issues because of it. Um, so there's a lot of things, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of moving pieces, but we're just trying to take it day by day, take the information that we get, you know, from the people, the health professionals, the people who are, you know, they're monitoring it in society in our local area, and then take their data and take their information and make the most informed decisions. And I feel like we've done that so far. Um, it's just, it's a challenge because it changes so quickly and we're constantly responding to you know, what we're being told, the information that's out there, and trying our best not to have students in school, out of school, and that back and forth, which I know is disruptive to the instructional environment. Uh, but it's kind of what we have to do. And hopefully, you know, with the vaccines going out and healthcare workers getting it, and hopefully, you know, at some point, educators will be able to get it. I, I'm hopeful that in the new year, it can just get better and better instead of the, you know, this back and forth that we've had. Uh, you know, since March and then especially this school year. So I hope that answers your question. It's just, there's so many moving pieces to it, uh, but I really am proud of the students and the staff and how everyone's handled it. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned, there's been a ton of kids who went fully virtual. And were you surprised by the amount of students who, who did that? And what was your kind of reaction to that? 
Yeah, no, you're right, Matt. Uh, we're actually the largest cohort right now is the all virtual cohort. And uh, I think we have over 300 students. So not quite half the school, but definitely over a third of the school. I wasn't really surprised, uh, you know, with the weather being what it is and, you know, people concerned about Thanksgiving and Christmas. I thought this would be the most common time for people to go all virtual. And then kind of one thing led to another, another with, you know, kids coming to school saying, well, no one's here. Why am I even coming to school every day? Why am I getting up, getting dressed, getting, you know, getting on the bus or whatever it takes to get to school when, you know, there's only a handful of kids in the classroom and teachers are teaching 20 to 22 students online and three to four in the classroom. Why am I one of the three to four? So I think that that kind of led more students to jump on board and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go all virtual too. So I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but I guess I hope that people will not just do it for the sake of doing it, but rather for thoughtful, legitimate reasons of concerns for health and safety, right? Because um, I do think that it's better when we're in person. I think it's better for people to be in the building, you know, talking, seeing their teachers and, and, and feeling that personal connection because school, I don't know if you guys share this sentiment, to me, it's not the same without it. Uh, yes, we've got video conferencing and that's better than not having it. Like this is much better than what happened in the, in the spring but it's still not the same. And it still doesn't allow us to do kind of what I think our high school, Bernard's high school does best. And that's really that, that human connection. We're a community, we're close, we get to know people, we develop relationships. And it's just so much harder to do that when we're dealing with either hybrid or all vir an all virtual uh, instructional environment. And speaking for myself, you know, you brought up how the largest cohort is the kids that have elected to go all virtual. I've had the talk with my parents where it's, okay, if you decide to go all virtual, why are you doing it? Is it because you just want to stay home? You want to roll out of bed and sit at your desk and do it? Or are you actually worried about the health that comes with it? The concerns of kids going out, we don't know if they're following social distancing, if they come out and they decide to go to school, or is it, you know, you want to go to school? For me personally, I wanted to go in. And that's not just me saying this to you. I, I've had this talk with people. I wanted to go in because for me, it's very important that even if it's the slightest bit of it, I like if it's once a week, if we're all virtual for God knows how long until June, and then for the final three weeks we go back, it was important for me to go in and to try to build that relationship with the teachers, whether it's in our journalism class, it's Matt, John Perling, and I, and Miss Hunkley. It's the four of us on our day. It's, it's just so important to me that you, even from a distance, you try to get that relationship with the teacher and you can build upon it just so, you know, it's not just, it's not through Zoom. It's not like what we're doing right now. It's, it's actually meeting them and getting to know them. I feel like that's very important. Yeah, I agree. And, and for me, you know, the other day I, I try to get out of my office, just stand in the hallway. And then, you know, you and Matt walk by and you say, you're talking about your podcast. Like that's cool to me. That's the way you make connections is just that, that impromptu discussion between you and your teacher or you and, you know, anybody, any staff member in the school, or just kind of, you know, you and Matt being able to like, Hey, you see that game last night, as opposed to you having to like, you know, call Matt up and say, Hey Matt, you know, how yeah. was the game? Last? Like it's, I, I just feel like that interpersonal connection is what makes school special. And, I hope we can get back to that. I really do. I hope that by the fourth quarter, especially for our seniors, um, that we can get some sense of normalcy and kind of build that connection because I, you know, that's, I think the part that hurts the most and the part that we can, can't really get back is just that human connection and that human piece of school that, I, and, and I always pride myself because if you ask me, what am I most proud about? I've been at Bernard's for nine years. 
it's, it's something very simple, but I think it's something really important. It's, it's that I think our school is a pretty happy place to come to every day, right? Like not during a pandemic per se, but mostly, you know, I know it's school and school is not always for everybody, but I think our school is pretty good, right? You walk in those doors, got a nice media center. We got some happy people, you know, reasonable people. You got nice kids. You generally treat each other well. It's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. But I think that it's a good place to come to school every day. And I think it's generally happy. And I think the pandemic has made that really difficult. And it doesn't feel that way anymore, right? A study hall, you're sitting in desks six feet apart, all facing the same direction, as opposed to, you know, hanging out in this awesome media center with sports center on, showing last night's highlights. Like, we, I think we've worked really hard to make our school comfortable and you know student generated and 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 a good place for people to be and it's hard to do that it's almost impossible to do that with the the constraints of the pandemic and so i think that's what the hardest thing is for me is to see school be so isolated and so esoteric and very it feels cold right and that's not what our school is yeah yeah and you said it yourself it's that sense of normalcy i think that's what a lot of students are craving and me personally, that's why I did, I like coming into school. I, I see. I for for me, for someone like me, I need to sort of like be there. I need to to learn. It's it's kind of difficult for me at home. I get that, and you're not. That's not uncommon. It's like sometimes in life, it's just part of the half the battle is just being there, right? Like, and once you get there, you're good. But it's that idea that now we're, we're not there anymore. Like I'm at home, you guys are at home and I'm like, when I'm at school, I'm a principal, like a hundred percent, like I'm immersed in my job. Whereas I'm at home, I, I kind of, I'm a dad and a husband. And, and when those blend, right? Like it, your home is your work and your work is, it, that's really tough. And I still haven't, even after, I guess it's been nine months now, I still struggle with it, you know, creating those boundaries and, and them blending together. So I always prefer to have that compartmentalized. Like when you're at work, you're present and you're, you're doing your job. And then when you're home, you're able to relax, right? And, and to try to mesh those two, I don't know if it blends together for you guys as well, but that's, that's been a struggle for me. And that's, and it's obviously, you're a, you're a father and a husband first and along with your duties as principal, but you talked about how it's, it's combining that home and work life. It's, it's all in one. You're taking work and it's at home now. And for us as students, it's definitely weird because it's like we wake up at whatever time. I join my first Zoom at 7.55. I get off at 12.15. Once or twice a week, I have lab. I have instructional support there if needed. And then the rest of the day, it's like, what am I? I have homework and you're done with homework at whatever time. And then you get to live you know, the normal life. But to your credit and to the board's credit, no matter how many kids have decided to go all virtual, you know, I think it's been two or three times the Board of Education and the administration has elected, you know, to call, call it safe, to go all virtual. We have to give you guys credit because you've done a phenomenal job looking out for our students, looking out for the teachers, looking out for yourselves, just to make sure Bernard's is in that safe and happy environment. And like you said earlier, our school is a happy place. I don't think the majority of the kids go to school happy. There's, you guys give us opportunities. We have the clubs, the sports, there's so much there that we can enjoy. And it's obviously so different virtually because it, it takes out a lot of things, but you guys have done such a great job still opening those things, whether it's clubs, whether it's meetings, 
the instructional support, you still, in the best way possible, try to give us that opportunity that, hey, it's not perfect, but we can make it what, you know, what it should be. That's well said. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate that. I mean, to me, it's a community effort and I have to give you guys a lot of credit. You know, I know Matt was doing sports reporting for the football team in the fall. You guys come in with the idea of doing more online stuff for the Crimson. I think everyone, and you made a really good point, Shane, and I say this again and again, we just got to do our best, right? It's not yeah. going to be the same. It's not going to be like Matt said. It's not going to be normal. But if we all just do our best, we all do our part to bring ourselves and what we have to offer like you guys are bringing this podcast to students which i think is so cool and other people are excited to hear this and i try to just say okay here's what here's the best that i have to offer and i think it's hard because i I think it's not our traditional best um but if we all just kind of say listen we're gonna do the best with the circumstances and the time that we have we'll come out of this okay and i'm really proud of of everybody proud of the students i'm proud of the staff um and i'm proud of our school community because i think everyone has come together and I, and I know that you guys, are, I appreciate the gratitude to the board and, and, and to the administration, but to me, it's a, it's a team effort and, and it doesn't happen without everybody playing their role and everyone just saying like, listen, we'll do the best we can. And, uh, you know, we'll get through this together and we are a community and, and that's why I really love Bernard's and I love how we approach things because we see this is what we have. We'll do what we can. And in the end, we'll come out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you talked about, we obviously, we all talked about, we're home now. What's the plan for going back? Um, are we home for a few days after break or are we? Yeah, it's up in the air right now. Um, there's been discussion of a few days after break. Uh, so I don't know. There, there isn't a definitive answer yet. I can see merits to taking a couple of days and making sure that if we have any you know, cases or anything that pops up, but I also don't want to wait too long because I think you guys have, you know, really done a nice job explaining the merits of being in person. And so those people who really, like you said, Matt, I need to be there. We want to make sure they have that opportunity. So it's a fine balance between the health and safety of our students and staff, but also doing what we've been tasked to do, and that's to open school. Uh, So I don't have a definitive answer yet. Um, It's something that I know that Dr. Dempsey and the Board of Education are discussing. Um, I think I saw that Ridge High School is waiting till I think the 10th or the 11th to go back. Um, I, I'm sure that something that people take into consideration of what neighborhood schools are doing. Um, excuse me. Uh, so we'll see. I, I'm not sure. So it, we could be back on the 4th. We could be back on the 11th. Um, but to me, it's like, you know, you make a recommendation and, and whatever the decision is, we'll do it. You know, I'll, I'll be there. And, uh, you know, I, I just always want to make sure that we're taking all everybody's feedback and, and, and making decisions with the information that we have. And so it's hard to say that because, and we don't want to wait too long. We want people to be able to plan, but we also kind of need to know what is it that we're dealing with, you know, on any given day, I could get a call and say, we've got you know, X number of cases. We were supposed to come back to school. I was at a barbecue um, just outside and, and, you know, socially distant and, I got a call uh, before we were supposed to open schools three days before. And I thought we were going to open on time. And then all of a sudden, you know, we had within a couple of days, we had 20 over 20 cases. And so um, it's really hard. And it's hard because I know you guys want to know, everyone wants to know what to expect, but the, the problem with, you know, now and back in March is like, the information changes so quickly that once you have a plan, I, I've written so many letters guys during the pandemic where I've had the letter, I finished it ready to go. And then by the time I get ready to send it, it's completely outdated and it doesn't even, I have to write a completely separate letter. So we'll see. I, I, I think that in the next couple of days, hopefully we'll have a, an idea of what the plan is coming back in January. Awesome. 
Dr. Nigel, it was a pleasure having you on our first episode. We appreciate you. We appreciate your time. I think we can speak for uh, Matt and I, I can speak for him too. You've done a phenomenal job with everything. We appreciate you. Just keep up the great work. We'll try to do the same and uh, have a great weekend. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you guys doing a fabulous job. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on.